welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, executive producer extraordinaire, and it looks like you're getting ready to hit a workout. Just wearing it's, an undershirt. That's Just yeah. wearing some active wear. My good buddy and <laughs> producer, Cameron McCoy. Um, just You're going to do, like, what, probably a good hundo burpees something like oh, that yeah i you mean just really... it's it's a hit day right so we really gotta yeah. gotta get that whatever blood oxygen level as high as possible yeah and and the way to do that i, I don't know at what age you just burpees were are go from a terrible workout to a form of torture <laughs> but it happens to you yeah right yeah. i would say i was never what? a burpee fan so probably 15 16 Oh, yeah. Well, there's some point where it's like, I don't want to do a burpee, but I can do it to that will likely hospitalize me. <laughs> sure. <you know. laughs> um, and so, you know, it's just where you're at on that scale. Um, so, Cameron, I did promise we would go in depth on the Explorer metagame, but my work week did not um, facilitate that. So we sent you out to the field mm-hmm. on assignment. Cameron, spend upwards of 45 minutes in the Explorer metagame. <laughs> And report back your findings. Here we go. And here we are. It's the equivalent of sending a, a reporter out to check on the hurricane. Uh, we do. We are going to spend a ton of time on the Modern Pro Tour because there's a lot to say. But I want I want to start here because obviously Explorers changed a little bit with the release of the new anthology. So mm-hmm. hit me with that. Yeah. So I went ahead and picked up the Explorer anthology. And the first thing I was going to do, I was super excited, is like, oh, we got the charms. That's fantastic. You know, I think my blue-white control list could really use the Azorius charm. Where is the Azorius charm? Where is the Azorius charm? Like, I got really angry seeing that, like, you get your is it? you got your Golgari, and it's like, oh, it's the enemy-colored, not the allied-colored charms. So, anyway, really stuck a little thing in my craw got needled as far there as, a little like, bit, didn't you? wanting to play Azorius charm. However... Um, I think is it charm is going to be something for Phoenix if that's an actual playable deck. Um, but the thing that has been kind of, I would say, most impactful um, are Xenagos and World Spine Worm for the creativity deck. So mm-hmm. um, I put this into the creativity deck I had. I mean, I, I just went with like whatever the stock list was on MTG Goldfish um, and, and did a few rounds with it. And it's good. It's, um, I mean, World Spine Worm on its own is just kind of absurd. And so I think using something like this rather than, this is, I feel like, a much more game-ending sort of thing rather than um, uh, the artifact creature that is the Snapcatcher. I cannot remember the blue <laughs> artifact creature. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Uh, I think World Spine Worm is the way to go with this as far as like... Torrential Gear Hulk? Is that what you're talking Gear about? Gear Hulk, that's what I'm okay, looking got for. It. Thank okay. you. Um, Took me a while. Whenever you were like blue artifact creature, I was like, Master of Ethereum is yes. the first one that popped <laughs> in my head, which is yeah. not even remotely close to relevant. Yeah. Like it hasn't been relative for like relevant for like 10 years. <laughs> I love that no matter how well rested I am, I will still never remember the names of the cards after a month of not playing them. Jace the what? I don't remember. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the World's Fine Worm, I think, is like, it's just so 
good and like there's so many other avenues with like if it dies or you can actually kill it yourself you know like there's all these like interesting things that you can do um in response to get like the extra five five tokens um so and on top of it just being recurring right so i feel like this is in the indomitable creativity deck great i'm i'm a-okay um with this card I didn't really see, like, I, I'm curious if there's an actual Court of Calling deck, just because that is a, a good card, but there's just better things that you could be doing in that, you know, that spot right there. Um, I didn't get a chance to run Judges Familiar in my blue-white control list. Um, I'm willing to bet it's not that great. Uh, nope. <laughs> otherwise, you know, playing just blue-white control, and I'm not playing anything. Um, that would be new to put in that. Um, I didn't even see anything like Thespian Stage. It's good to see these cards and whatnot. I just, we're just, there's no other cards around it to make these great or impactful. So, like, once again, the anthologies, you get two or three cards that are playable in a very particular deck, um, but shaking up, explore, no. I don't think so. So, like... I'm willing to hear, though I don't know that I buy it, um, that they don't want to give all of the Lotus Field combo because there's, you know, software concerns. Like, um, you know, they, they've tended since the Arena era to kind of push against having infinite combo loops in Arena. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a thing. But, you know, obviously this was an opportunity to get some pretty significant cards in there. Um, someone posted on, uh, you know, Hey, I have no idea how to verify this. Cause I, I'm not a data miner, but somebody apparently data mined that certain other cards were originally going to be in this anthology and it, you know, got pulled out for what you can only assume are financial reasons, right. That, you know, you're kind of forced to buy them piecemeal. I will say also, um, voice of resurgence is seeing play in a four color elemental deck. Okay. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, the Riven Re Risen Reef Omnath style decks that you know, exist in modern as well mm -hmm. um, and kind of pop up as the best deck and then other decks can go over the top of them and then they're not that good anymore. You know, it, it has to fit in a, like everyone's trying some kind of mid-rangey strategy and then suddenly the Elementals thing is really good because sure. you can kind of create that loop. I'm, I'm excited to jump into this. Um for whatever reason, I'm much more excited than about Explorer and Pioneer than Modern, which, again, I think that's been the case that there's nothing new there. Like, Lord of the Rings doesn't necessarily change that. Um, but I will say after I've watched this Pro Tour, or at least a decent chunk of it, um, Modern's kind of still fitting in that place that I'm not, like, super happy with. So this is kind of what I'm jumping into because it's been a crazy work week. Mm -hmm. um, well, really, work month, but... I did watch some of this pro tour and before we kind of get down this path of some critical things, I do want to say this. I love live magic. Thank God we're back to live magic. Thank God. I don't have to watch two people like us chasing down this overwatch league, which is now gone. Right? Like yeah. the whole thing just reeked of, uh, you know, some executive heard some buzzwords and they found out <laughs> that their kid was watching a lot of Fortnite, So we had to chase that down and now we're finally course correcting. But I got to say this, Cameron, I posted a comp of the screenshots. This should be said. 
Cameron works professionally in television, okay? Like, and is really good at it, right? Hmm. Um, I have a degree in, in broadcasting, so I know a little bit, but no one would call me an expert. This camera angle stuff has got to stop. Like, please go back to the side profile. If you insist on being from one player's perspective. So let me back up. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, Magic used to be from the side. So one player was on the right, one player was on the left. And the camera, by the nature of that, was in closer. Now we've kind of gone above the table and essentially from one player's perspective. I would be willing to bet the intent is to mirror what's going on in arena but you end up being so far zoomed out that you see extra score pads, extra dice, the Mountain Dew, the phone, whatever. And the cards are, I mean, there's zero chance they're legible. Like you would have to have, you would have to be watching this on a movie theater screen. Mm -hmm. Like I am watching it on a 16 inch TV. I know the cards and I'm still having trouble. So, Help me, Cameron. Is, is there a thing I'm missing here? Uh, I, no. I mean, and I would just, it's so bad. I, I mean, just like you, you send the screenshot to me and like, yeah, the amount of just wasted space is incredible. Like, I mean, three pads of paper that we see, an empty box just sitting there, like random pens. Like, I mean, what are you doing? Like, this is not art, you know? show me the activity right so i would totally rotate that camera 90 degrees get me both sides an equal distance and show the cards show the flipping game it's like it's like it's so obvious um on top of just like i i think just kind of a poor ui layout that they have for the overlay um i don't know like there's just a lot of things that they need to address i think in order to make this more grokkable um, to an average viewer. Yeah, and I'm looking here. Is there time left in the round on this screen at all? I, I don't see it. If it is there, it's very difficult to see. The, <laughs> I mean, if you just like look by this, the score pads are much, much more present, and there are four of them. <laughs> Two writing utensils, are in the thing a dice that doesn't mean anything there's no layout for where the graveyard is supposed to like it is very bad and then you have these profile pictures so you're not actually have a live window of the people playing and i i what i did was and again obligatory flesh and blood mention but right now there's a a, a gp in uh, england and it is like streamed by a hobbyist and i i put them side by side the cards are closer, even though there are more cards on a flesh and blood board. Yeah. The cards are closer. You have an actual angle of the players playing. I've seen flesh and blood streams and other card game streams. This is not, but where you actually see what the players' hands are in those cameras, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, everything, and don't even get me started on the font usage, which is also abysmal, mm -hmm. abysmal. I know this is a production thing. And you know what? The the people actually doing, like directing it, probably very much know what we're talking about. They probably were told mm -hmm. to make it look like this and are trying to make it work the best way they can. 
because it is because this has got to be a top level decision. I just can't imagine somebody is a freelance camera guy mm-hmm. and is looking at this and going, "Yeah, this is the framing. No way." It's it's not no, it's bad. <laughs> I, I I mean, just to your point about like the flesh and blood overlay. I mean, like you don't even really need to know what the game is. But you can just glance. I mean, just glance. And understand 15 more things more easily as far as, like, how much time is left, who's ahead, who's ahead in the tournament. I mean, like, who's actually playing? I mean, like, it's it's incredible um, how much better this hobbyist stream is than um, professional worldwide tour of uh, Magic the Gathering. Yeah, a little bit more money tied up in it, too, yeah. right? So, anyway, point being is... Yeah. It's frustrating. I'm frustrated by that. I would also say that you can take a look at the top eight. You can take a look at the most played cards. Most played cards, I'll just list um, the top five. The One Ring is number one. Orcish Bowmasters is number two. Fury is number three. Chalice of the Void is number four. And Misty Rainforest is number five. Okay? So... Of the top five, two are from the Lord of the Rings set. Three of them are from modern-only supplemental sets. I, I mean, we're getting to the point where this isn't a point of criticism. It's just the norm. But this is standard, right? Like, this is, this is a rotation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they've put in these high-powered cards. And again, Lord of the Rings, many, many, many of the cards are not very high-powered. We had talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've kind of gotten to this place where when they release these supplemental only sets, they've created a version of standard that's just more expensive, right? Yeah. And they're kind of forced to do that if we're doing modern events on the reg, because we can't, you know, (laughs) you can't just have a modern format that's super stagnant and, um, have a tour in it once every year, right? Like it, it just becomes very bland so like it makes me long for the days of standard from the quality of the gameplay perspective and again that's going to vary based upon your taste i've made no secret of the fact that i don't really love modern's gameplay i mean i watched a tron mirror in the semifinals and questioned my decisions right um but it was that it's just the the reality is if we're really all in on modern being a thing that we're regularly competing at they're gonna have to keep doing this and so while I understand the complaints about Orcish Bowmaster and the One Ring, we kind of should have seen this coming at this stage, right? So, mm-hmm. I guess I guess my question for you is, Cameron, where are you interest? Where's your interest level in modern now? And if they added modern to uh, Arena, would that affect things for you? Yeah, I mean, as far as like paper modern, yeah, I don't really have um, that much interest in it. I feel like. I can get my non-rotating itch in paper through Pioneer. Um, if they put this on Arena, sure. I mean, I would I would play Modern on Arena. I'm sure I would. It would just be another thing that I could do within a given week. Um, am I actively going to it the way that I was, like, the way I wasn't in MTG um, online? No. I, I. It's just, like, one of these things of... It exists. I'll play it sometimes just by nature of like there's a tournament close by and I just want to get the reps in, but it's not the format for me. Yeah. And 
honestly, there's no way it will ever will be on Arena, right? Like the product roadmap is such that it's clear that on a constructed level, they're never going to get there. And if they could put in a lot of Magic's history at this stage, it probably makes a lot more sense from a brand perspective to make that commander than, um, you know, modern or legacy or vintage. I would love for someone to do the math though. And again, this is, I, I can't stand alchemy, but like, I think you could do the math of like, if all the effort that went into making alchemy went into <laughs> adding old cards, where would we be? Cause every new set has alchemy, yeah. right? So that's like 30 or 40 cards. We would be well past pioneer and somewhere into modern now, yeah. I would assume. Um, so that's the thing. Anyway, um, Rakdos, the deck is Rakdos scam. Uh, for whatever reason, they um, don't call it that, and I don't know why. Uh, they call it Rakdos Evolve or Evoke, or, or I'm sorry, Rakdos Evoke. And um, yes, there are some Evoke creatures, but it, it's it's scam. It's black, red, mid-range. It is a fine deck to have as your best deck. Um, I don't really mind it one way or the other. I, I, it's very much... While there is the art, you know, games where it can really just rip you to shreds, right? Mm-hmm. It is very much in the Jun template, right? It's still, you know, high powered creatures and Thoughtseize and Fatal. Like, there's, there's just, it's if you were to tra- travel in time, like if you were to take Cameron ten years ago yeah. and travel in time, you would say that deck is really good. But I understand what's happening, right? Um, Lotus Field combo, maybe not. So these, this is the thing. It's like. I think there's a good thing to say here is that we have live magic and there's a good best deck to have in a format. Um, it just seems kind of inaccessible, you know, um, especially if you don't have a live modern scene. Cameron, anyway, any thoughts on the top eight or any of that stuff? No, I mean, the the silver lining, paper tournament, all about that. Um, there's just a lot of other like little things they need to address. And yeah, this is just not the format that I want to sit and watch for a day. You're not you're not a big uh, mono green Tron guy. Tron versus Tron, not my thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Because like it's like all these big mana decks. Because there's like whatever three Tron and one Amulet Titan, and then black red dorky guys that make you <laughs> yeah. discard cards, right? Yeah, and then some Rhinos decks, which I was under the impression as someone who doesn't play a lot of uh, modern that. Oh, this deck is just miserable. No one should ever play it. And apparently it's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. So I was misled. Anyway, um, that's kind of wrapping up that. Let's hone in a little bit more on the Explore metagame next week, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get out of this segment, come back. We've hit a majority of the big movies this last week. So we're going we're gonna to shift gears hard and turn into a movie review podcast. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron, welcome back. So you went through the Barbie Oppenheimer experience. Did indeed. Whilst I saved the free world from an AI by watching Mission Impossible 17, whichever one it is. My daughter watched Barbie. It was quite the thing for her friend group, like nothing I've ever seen for her with a movie since Mm. like Frozen. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it, it was quite the the um cultural moment and movie theaters i know were really happy with the turnout 
I'm for whatever reason I feel like I know what Oppenheimer is, but I don't know what Barbie is. Yeah. Give me your quick review. Yeah, so Barbie, uh, to your point, it was kind of incredible to see like this kind of cultural zeitgeist of like going to the movie to see the movie and to talk about and discuss the movie. I mean, I honestly don't think this has happened since the last Avengers movie, right? I mean, it's been yeah, that long right, since everybody was going to a movie to see something and to talk about it. So it was great to just be a part of that and to, I don't know, experience just that movie thing that I just, I love experiencing. Um, Barbie is, it's really good. I was amazed at how many um, film references it had in it. Everything from like 2001 to like, oh gosh, there's so many like 60s independent, like new wave sort of things where it's Greta Gerwig definitely kind of leaning into like, let's, let's, be subversive with Barbie um, and there's like a whole other kind of sideline with like a side story with Ken and his place and how that kind of meets up and um, by the end it's just absurd um, very self-referential and uh, entertaining I mean like we actually talked about it I, I, I mean I have some quibbles about the movie but overall um, I feel like the creators of it set out to take almost do like this art house piece uh, with Mattel toys. And I don't know if it fully met it every single time, but they went there and uh, I appreciate it for that. So I don't know. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, I really hope they don't make a sequel, but I'm sure they will because it's Mattel and every single toy product is going to be getting its own Disney plus version of a, TV show or movie here soon. Yeah, I will say I was listening to a film cast and they were like, hey, a bunch of these sequels this year didn't do as well as they thought they would. And both Oppenheimer and Barbie did a lot better. So maybe this will incentivize Hollywood to stop with the nostalgia in the sequels. And I'm like, I think that might be giving them too much credit. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's a whole category of people that'll just be like, Oh, let's just copy paste that. Let's do that again because yep. that made us a lot of bonuses and Executives lots of money. Don't get it. Yeah, uh, Oppenheimer. We went to it in IMAX, um, and seeing something in IMAX. I mean, you don't need to see this movie in IMAX, but um, just experiencing the IMAX thing on this giant screen and like seeing the resolution and a in the detail that you know. That in itself was incredible. There's like some scenes that take place in like wide open spaces of New Mexico. And those were actually some of the most visually just amazing, stunning things that I've seen on a screen in a long time. Um, it was just background, you know. So there's that. Um, and Christopher Nolan, he has this thing where he's going to put you in a headlock. And he's just going to like hold you there as you watch this movie for three hours and you cannot get out of it. Uh, the music is just nonstop. The editing is just like cut after cut, jumping time constantly. Um, and it's just, it's just like this overwhelming amount of sensation happening constantly. Even like these very quiet, intimate moments that he's having with like his wife or his lover. Um, I mean, like, it's just like, I got you in this headlock, you're not getting out. Um, so that would probably be like my, I guess, criticism of the film. But I, you know, it was great to watch 
just the, this piece about this man who was very, very, very complicated, could hold two ideas that seemed very contrary at the same time, um, and kind of navigate that. And just this person in place in history that really did, I mean, set a course for what the 20th century became as far as like America's place um, as a... Uh, um, yeah, leader, I guess, if you want to call it. Um, but just where its place was uh, with, with nuclear weapons, nuclear energy, um, fear, all that stuff. So it was uh, it was good. It's absolutely worth checking out. Like I said, I don't think you need to see it to appreciate it or enjoy it in IMAX, but the IMAX experience was totally worth it. Yeah, I've I've heard that it is the most traditional of Nolan's films, which that might not be saying a whole heck of a lot, right? <laughs> like really the, the right now his most traditional movie is Batman. <laughs> you know, one of the Batmans probably, yeah, maybe, right? Like, yeah. cause like things like Tenet are very, and Inception are very different. Um, now I, I know the people who are, um, you know, I would say very critical of Oppenheimer have found this movie to be a little overly apologetic hmm. um, about him or maybe too sympathetic to him as a human being. I don't know. I have a complicated set of thoughts about this. So like just to give a personal history, but my grandfather was an uh, island hopper in the Pacific and he would have been first wave into the invasion. Oof. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of have this moment of like, obviously war is terrible all the way around the horn. There's nothing really good about it, but you're like, how would things have been different? Would I be a different, you know, all and this that. was all before. Yeah. So like I literally know someone in person who was affected by this occurring. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's a strange thing to think about. Um, anyway, I'm sure I'll see it at some point, probably by myself, because I can't imagine my family will ever want to watch Oppenheimer. Yeah. It, it feels um, long, too. It's three hours, and I mean, there's you feel, you feel it, huh? great, but like, yeah, it kind of has a downhill slide. And it's like, okay, I really need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, I watched Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Cameron. Uh, did you check this one out yet? I have not seen it yet. I need, you got to convince me to go. Uh, well, don't. Um, this, <laughs> I think this is pretty easily the second worst Mission Impossible movie. Mm -hmm. And Mission Impossible's, like, to what some people Fast and the Furious is, that's what Mission Impossible movies are for me. I love the absurdity of them. Um, and I'm not the person that thinks the plot needs to make sense in these movies. That being said, this plot was pretty bad it really didn't work um i don't think it spoils anything to say that this is um an ai is the villain and it does at times really read like a person who has no understanding of how computers work or maybe is a little bit older and is afraid of quote ais like it just doesn't really make a lot of logical sense but Apparently, because I, I guess production for this started before COVID. Hmm. So a lot of this has been in the can for a while. And uh, they had to reshoot or alter or alter actors' roles in it. So, like, there's a longstanding, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a longstanding Mission Impossible character that dies in a really unceremonious and, like, 
way that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and if, and you're just like, so it just feels like the, the act actor actor had to be somewhere else. Right. Mm. Um, anyway, it, there's still these jaw dropping stunts. If you've played uncharted two, um, there's a train sequence that is very, very, very similar to that. Okay. And because these people are psychopaths, they actually do it <laughs> and it's jaw dropping on film. They actually have anti-gravity moments in the train as it's falling off a cliff and they clearly actually shot that. And so, you know, this is what I love about the mission impossible series is they do something for real that is absolutely crazy and captured on film, and it's wonderful, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's just a throwback to 90s kind of big, dumb action in a way that even something like that's a big action franchise now, like John Wick, isn't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. John Wick is, to me, a tribute to a 90s action movie that would be like a low-end VHS thing that you would find at the video rental place of like, you know, they killed this dude's dog and now he's got to get revenge and, yep. you know, like Super B, whereas this w- this is much more like, you know, like a Bond movie or a big budget Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, right? Like used to be where they're like, yeah, we need to like throw a real life car down a street and hit other cars and we need to record it, right? Yep. yep. And so just that, the, the chutzpah, to do that is just really something. Yeah. So, um, however, the previous four have been a lot, lot better than this one. So, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. That tempers the expectations as far as my maybe desire to go. So good. Yeah. And well, we ended up seeing that instead of Indy because only my daughter wanted to go with me. So the whole family was supposed to go see Indy. And then, um, my wife and son wanted to, you know, catch up on sleep or whatever. <laughs> so boring. Anyway, <laughs> So Cameron, if someone would like to talk Oppenheimer or the rest of uh, Christopher Nolan's catalog, where could they find you? It's all on Twitter at Cameron underscore. I'm sorry, X. Yeah, at Cameron dude, underscore I was, I was fixing to correct you. How dare you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and theoretically, I'm at Curtis now. Uh, our show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>